Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Welcome, one and all, to episode 226 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the pie to the 226th power of SLS cast. Yes, that's what episode this is. Now, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of obvious, Matt, that uh, pie to the 226th power, and it's episode 226, but that's not what it is. No. No, see, because it turns out that the first three digits of pi to the 226th power are 226. See? Gotcha. I gotcha! All right. And with that wonderful little bit of Matt gotcha stuff with uh, pi to the 226th power knowledge, I, of course, am the aforementioned Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim... How's it going, Matthew? How are your tests treating you? I know you've had a couple the past couple days. Oh, just four. Four tests. I do not envy you. As well you should not, sir. All of my classes are, yeah, all my classes decided that they were going to converge for this period portion of the uh, semester with midterms all last week. Well, the period portion of anything is never a good thing. It's never a good period. <laughs> hey, unless you're into that. Not the word that judgment. That's true. Well, I mean, it's not true that I'm into it. Just saying that is true. If you're into oh, come that on. You're type of me thing, you you... it's fine. We're not going to judge you. Just we, don't we, tell us. We know you've already earned your red wings. It's fine. Oh, my God. Is that what it's called? <laughs> is that seriously what it's called? Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 visual just hit yeah. you in the face. I thought it would be called like you earned your red badge of courage, but unfortunately, there's already a book nope. called that, right? Red badge of courage. We had to read that back yeah, in the day, and a something. movie, and a movie, yeah, yeah, movie and everything, yeah. But it's not about it's not about that time of the month, though. Red badge of of courage, but you earned your red wings. So, are you telling us something? Like, is that what you did this past week? Is that how you celebrated your tests, your exams? Uh, no, no, that is definitely not how that went down. Um, how did it go down? Well, I can tell you that it's 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 definitely not uh, you know that time of the month over here either. So no, I, uh, I I had a whole bunch of yeah I did I had a uh, big history exam I had uh, a philosophy exam I had a computers exam and I had a geography exam all last week so it was not fun and didn't consequently didn't really do all too much outside of just studying and what have you really the only thing that's kind of in a holding pattern is lawn care lawn care is the big you know kerfuffle. Right now. Well, you have three daughters. One of them is perfectly capable to begin learning how to push the old lawnmower around. Oh, it's not that. It, what we're trying to do is we're trying to time the weed and feed with our mowing schedule. And <laughs> you have to water your lawn after you do the weed and feed, but it can't rain because apparently putting water on the lawn is necessary. But water from the sky is too much. So 
we're trying to get like we need a day we need like three or four days in a row where we can do it so it's kind of like this really weird awkward mowing schedule right now and so we got weeds that we're trying to kill it, yeah that's that you know that's about as most exciting as it is out here in suburbia land yeah i forgot about crazy texas suburban spring summertime when it's mandatory to mow your lawn every single friday or saturday because it looks like you haven't all season it's, it's really crazy how that uh, how that grass grows what, what do you got douglas fern Let's talk grass. <laughs> the, the, you mean Douglas fir, like the Christmas tree? <laughs> or are you thinking like winter rye, which is an actual grass? Or are you thinking St. Augustine? Are you thinking Bermuda? It was a joke. These are grasses, not it was Christmas a joke. tree. Oh, okay. Because gotcha. when I went with my dad some years ago to go buy grass... When we're talking about Texas, I can freely say when I went to go buy grass, because when somebody in Texas says, I'm going to go buy grass, they're literally going to go buy a pallet of grass. grass. You know, they're not going to go to a (laughs) weed shop and, you know, go to IHOP or whatever. But we were going to buy grass, and I thought I knew what I was talking about, and I kept mentioning that we were interested in uh, Douglas Fern. And I realized before it was too late, well, it's already too late when you say something as stupid as that. Um, but I caught myself, but I kept asking this guy and being adamant with this guy that we, you know, that Douglas Fern, you know, everybody carries Douglas Fern grass. And I, I said Douglas Fern enough times to where I think even the grass guy at Home Depot or Lowe's, wherever we were at, believed that there was, in fact, a Douglas Fern type of grass. Because he did say, well, I'm going to go check with my supervisor Granted, he more than likely could have just gone into the break room and laughed at us. Or me, mainly. <laughs> that is that is also entirely possible, yes. But outside of buying grass, I guess, um, uh, not too much this past week. I did see... I did see Ghost in the Shell twice... Because well, good for you. I walked out of the movie the first time, and I could not remember what happened. Wow. What? And so I had to go see the movie a second time. Luckily, I was sober and remembered what happened the second time around. But the most, I think the coolest thing, though, something I did a week ago, uh, well, I guess it would be two Saturdays ago. Uh, there's this theater called the Arrow Theater, and I think it's like the original Landmark Theater. It used to be like, uh, no, I, I'm getting confused with another one. But it's called the Arrow Theater, and the, there's a, a, a movie group, a cinema appreciation group called CineFamily, and they kind of run all the films that are shown at the Arrow Theater. And this other theater called the Egyptian Theater, that's uh, right on Hollywood Boulevard. And at the Aero Theater, they're showing a brand new IB Technicolor print, a 70 millimeter IB Technicolor print of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And before the showing of the movie, or actually after the showing of the movie, uh, one of the actors, Gary Lockwood, he did this really interesting Q&A afterwards. And it's really fascinating. I can't stress enough Anybody who's listening, I know we have people in Texas, we've got people up in Canada, a lot of small towns, even Houston, we we have the River Oaks Theater, 
a lot of towns and a lot of major cities still have these original theaters that show classic movies and do really cool things like specialty screenings and specialty Q&As. And even if it's not like an older classic theater, there's also regular theaters like the Landmarks. You know, they do cool Q&As and screenings. But regardless of what theater it is, do take advantage of it if that stuff rolls through your town at any time. It's definitely worth checking out. I'm actually at this point, I'm trying to find anyone who's willing to go. Uh, I would love to take Jen or... Uh, I, I mean, the kids are still a little too young for it, but hopefully, like maybe 12 or 13, I'll be able to take Libby or something like that. Any friends, family, where where there are true experiences to be had in that regard. Do it, yeah. folks. Take advantage, or we'll come after you. Do it! Do it. <laughs> All right. So, shall we go tickle the old mail sack? Tickle it good this time. All right, we're going to tickle the old mail sack, where if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so by sending one to the show at slscast.com. Uh, we don't actually have any emails to read this week, but we do have a whole mess of Twitter followers to mention. So if you would like to follow us on Twitter, please do so by following us at the SLS cast. So we have like seven, like seven whole followers. It's ridiculous in a good way. But I mean, yeah. So first up, we have Podstalgic. Yes, the old Podstalgic. And you can follow them by following at P-O-D-S-T-A-L-G-I-C. Podstalgic, right? Like old nostalgia and stuff. We also have the CNC Geek Cast. And you can follow them at C. And Andy C Geekcast, and then of course we have Kung Fu Drive-In podcast. Yes, at Kung Fu Drive-In, and not to mention we have Secret Transmission, which is at Secret Trans Pod. Three words there. So make sure you put in both T's. You see what I'm saying? Uh, also, we've got the Countdown Pod. It's the final countdown. I'm sure that's not what they were going for with that. Uh, they are at the Countdown PC. And then, of course, Movie Geek Cast, which is just simply at Movie Geek Cast. I like their little banner back here. So I married a movie geek. And then finally, last but not least, we have Mac and Goo. M-A-C, again, and, the word and, G-U podcast. There you go. Seven whole people who have followed us. Thank you so very much in the last week alone. That's one sexy mess of Twitter's. It is one. Yes, it is definitely. I mean, just, you know how, you, you remember back in uh, like 2004, 2005, 2006 with Dave Chappelle and how, and how, and how the whole, uh, urban slang, uh, for coming on somebody was skeeting, you know, skeet, skeet, skeet. Now we can just do tweet, 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 right? And just turn it into all that and see if we can start something new. Ooh, we could be the new dabbers. Ooh, yes. Do we still have to make the masturbating motion whenever we say tweet, tweet, tweet? <laughs> well, we can say that we are. They're not going to see it. Well, where's the fun in that? So, I mean, it, it, you know, it, that's the beauty of sound-only podcasting, of radio in its purest form. It's imagination. It We're just doing them a favor. 
That's it. <laughs> Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure masturbation. Tweet, 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 jerk hand. See, see you know, it works. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Do you want to do movies? <laughs> <laughs> or, no, you want to do news? Let's do news. We're gonna, oh, <laughs> a switcheroo. We'll news it up. <laughs> Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> And first up from me, from Hollywood Reporter, by way of Aaron Couch. Power Rangers breaks ground with first queer big screen superhero. Uh, yes, and of course we know that Power Rangers is um, in, in in theaters now. Let's see here. It says that uh, this the story contains minor spoilers for the Power Rangers movie. So we'd like to make sure that if the headline wasn't spoilery enough... Uh, that at least you have that in there because, uh, Aaron Couch was kind enough to put that in brackets for you there. All right. Power Rangers is breaking down a barrier no superhero movie has before. The Lionsgate reboot of the 90s children's TV show is the first big budget superhero movie to feature an LGBT protagonist. During Power Rangers' second act, there's a scene in which the titular heroes learn that the Yellow Ranger, Trini, uh, Becky G, is coming to terms with her sexual orientation, with one character assuming she's having, quote, boyfriend problems, end quote, and soon realizing that perhaps she's actually having, quote, girlfriend problems, end quote. It's a small moment, but one director Dean Israelite calls, quote, pivotal for the, end quote, for the entire film. All right, now, um, Israelite does go on to say some things to the Hollywood Reporter, but I just want to stop right there. Look, I, um... I have no problem with the inclusion of gay people in any media format or anything like that. I think as long as it's legitimately placed so that the character has truly a reason for being there and they, and that specific character is contributing to the film, do whatever you want. If you can, if you can find a way to put somebody in a movie that likes to fuck goats, and it makes sense and it works in the movie like some kind of zany comedy or whatever, but you're using that zaniness uh, as kind of a metaphor uh, for any other kind of weird sexual fetish, you know, fetishes that, that exist or anything like that, or you're trying to normalize sexualization as a whole, then fine, do it. I don't care what you want to do. But just because someone drops the word girlfriend problems in relation to a is not some pivotal fucking thing where you're championing a cause if anything it sounds to me like you're fucking pandering to a cause you want to have someone you want to have something like that in there then have her actually have a girlfriend like there's an established relationship from the get-go and and moreover it's not talked about when you want to normalize something, you just make it normal. You don't point it out because then people are like, oh, this is just how it is. I, I'm getting really, really sick of this, especially after all the backlash over fucking Beauty and the Beast, which, you know, there was no point to that. Um, why? I, I just, I don't know. I need some help from our LB, uh, our, our, uh, 
LGBT friends, please. Um, am, am, do you feel like this kind of stuff is pandering to you? Because I feel like it's insulting everyone's intelligence. Having a single line in a movie about something like that doth not, you know, a full character make. Um, what do you think, Tim? I don't know. I'm starting off strong here. <laughs> you you sound very passionate about this, and that's good. That's good. I you know I, I can definitely see where you're coming from, and I understand the movie industry is making strides when it comes to acknowledging more LGBTQ friendly characters, content, and content. Yeah, and content for sure. But how? But how long? How long is it going to take? Until people stop blaming the movie industry for not full-fledged committing to a character in such a movie. Power Rangers is a big property. Possible franchise. I get it. Avengers. Marvel movies. Big franchise. Disney movies. I get it. But when something like this, you know, the, the thing in Power Rangers, I don't know too much about it. So I'm just kind of going off of what you were just talking about. There's going to have to be somebody who's going to break the mold. And why not with Power Rangers? I mean, Power Rangers is a viable property, but is it as much of a, of a viable property as Disney or Marvel movies? I mean, it seems like Power Rangers would be in a pretty damn good spot to introduce a character. I think that would have been just fine. In fact, I thought, based on stuff that I've heard, I thought the character was full-on gay. And what I mean by full on, like it's known flat out, but right, right. And I will go ahead just for the sake of you know making sure everything is one hundred percent clear. Let me go ahead and read Israelites' um, quote. So it says here, Israelite tells the Hollywood Reporter, "quote For Trini, really, she's questioning a lot about who she is. She hasn't fully figured it out yet. I think what's great about that scene and what that scene propels for the rest of the movie is that's okay. The movie is saying that's okay. And all of the kids who have to own who they are and find their tribe, end quote there. Now, and again, I think that if you want kids to see that it's okay, then I think you have to actually have something you have to have a way to make it normalized within the context of the film. So yes, like you said, like she should have, she should just be gay. You know, there's enough out there about people who are questioning things and looking at stuff and want to, and it just really feels to me like you're trying to play the field so that this way you don't upset people who will get mad and go, you know, oh, you put a gay character in there, like the people who got all upset at LeFou, right? Well, now they can back out and say, well, we're not saying she is gay, just that kids question things well of course kids puberty's fucking strange of course but that's neither here nor there for me i think if you're gonna do it commit to it you know stand stand up for it own it and run with it don't just fucking half-ass it and then expect that to be the miracle um especially in today's day and age i i don't know i, I anyway i'm all way overexcited here they just need to take let's, a chance. Let's calm down. Exactly. I think they should take the chance. Yes. Yeah. I, 
I guess let's just put it that way. So let's let's talk about something nicer and calmer and everything. Also from the Hollywood Reporter, by way of Eric Gardner, Disney hit with lawsuit claiming Zootopia ripped off Total Recall writer. Do you like how the bait and switch? Do you... <laughs> so, so not H.P. Lovecraft, right? <laughs> no, 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 not this time. I always thought Zootopia was a Lovecraftian type of movie. <laughs> Where the fuck is Cthulhu? I don't understand. Who's the ancient one? Let's see here. It says, according to the complaint, Gary Goldman pitched his own Zootopia project twice to Disney. Yes, you heard that right, folks. Disney is now facing a serious lawsuit alleging that Oscar-winning animation film Zootopia was copied from the work of Gary L. Goldman, an author whose credits include writing Total Recall and Next and producing Minority Report. The complaint filed in California federal court comes from Esplan... Esplanade Productions, which is being represented by the prominent law firm of Quinn Emanuel. It opens up by quoting Zootopia director Brian Howard as saying, quote, don't worry if you feel like you're copying something, because if it comes through you, it's going to filter through you, and you're going to bring your own unique perspective to it, end quote. Uh, let's see here. In the lawsuit, Disney is alleged to have a track record of ripping off work, including The Lion King, Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Up, Inside Out, and more. Uh, which is interesting because, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, sidetracking, this is in no way, shape, or form related, uh, from this article, but I feel it's kind of related to it. Apparently, this Coco movie that's coming out, uh, later this year, with the whole Day of the Dead thing, apparently, they got into a big, huge kerfuffle because apparently this movie was supposed to come out in, like, 2014. Like, it's been shelved for, like, the last three years because, um, another movie came out about the Day of the Dead and, they were that worried about it. So, weird. You know. Anyways, it says here, the complaint, quote, they did it with Zootopia 2 when they copied Gary L. Goldman's Zootopia. Twice in 2000 and 2009, Goldman, on behalf of Esplanade, pitched defendants his Zootopia franchise, which included a live-action component called Looney and an animated component called Zootopia. He provided a treatment, a synopsis, character descriptions, character illustrations, and other materials. He even provided a title for the franchise, Zootopia. Instead of lawfully acquiring Goldman's work to and said they were not interested in producing it and sent him on his way. Thereafter, consistent with their culture of unauthorized copying, defendants copied Goldman's work. They copied Goldman's themes, settings, plot, characters, and dialogue, some virtually verbatim, end quote. Um, if you head down, and I would encourage you, that's about half the article there, um, I would definitely encourage you to head to HollywoodReporter.com and check this out. Disney hit with lawsuit claiming Zootopia ripped off Total Recall Writer, again by way of Eric Gardner. Uh, they they actually have provided various illustrations of the characters that were supposedly copied. And so um, it's, you know, kind of interesting. I, I can definitely see what they're doing. But I don't know. I feel like with no firm story in place and no copyrighted material in place, you fall back on the whole thing. You can't copyright, you can't patent an idea. You've got to have something that you can present to stamp with copyright, to stamp with patent um, that's been vetted so that it counts. Um, I'm not going to say that Disney didn't do it, but I'm also not saying that they, you know, I'm not not saying it either because... As crappy as it would be to say that they might have done that, 
you can't copyright an idea. I mean, if he'd had a full script, like not even just a dream, but if he had had a full script, something that had been presented, something that had been done where there's stuff being passed around, that's a known quantity. You can't just say, I have this idea about a bear in the woods, and then when a when a studio comes out with a movie about a bear in the woods, you can't get mad at that. Um, now, if the bear has the exact same name as your bear and the exact same story as your bear and your treatment was in writing and verifiably presented and stuff um, in that time frame that can be corroborated, well, then maybe. I don't know. Um, what do you think, Tim? So he had none of this stuff in writing. That we can see. Oh, hmm, okay. Well, yeah. well, it does say that he keeps saying that everything is stated that the lawsuit states that Goldman pitched, that he pitched. Now, the one thing that you can't deny um, is the providing of the artwork that they have here. They're, they have nine different characters and their Zootopia counterparts, and five, of, at least five, if not six of the nine I mean, they're pretty convincing ripoffs. Even when they're not even the same species, they're still kind of, they're really. But then again, you know, how, when did they draw this? Who did they present it to? And how easy is it to go and make your own drawings after the fact? You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. It's weird. But I would say for sure, read this article. Uh, what do you think though, Tim? You, you seem to have, you seem to be on the verge of. Well. Disney knows how to piss me off from time to time, and I already have this really bad taste in my mouth for this Coco movie, because if you recall, back three years ago, I think it was 2014, Disney was trying to copyright Dios oh, de los Muertos, <laughs> and of course... The Day of the Dead. Yeah. And of course, there was there was at least one country that would not have that. And it caused a pretty big uproar. And, of course, they didn't copyright The Day of the Dead. Uh, and it's for this movie. And I've just kind of been holding on to that for a while, festering inside of me. Like, those bitches. And then this movie freaking comes out, and it looks gorgeous. And I've... Pfft. Anyway, what do you got for us, sir? I'm going to continue on this uh, lawsuit train. Via DeadlineHollywood.com, or just Deadline.com. Warner Brothers Haunted by Another Conjuring Suit from Demonologist Author, written by Dominic Patton, and it says this, In what must feel like a never-ending franchise of the legal variety, Warner Brothers was sued yet again this week over rights to blockbuster horror The Conjuring and its sequels and spinoffs. Demonologist author Gerald Brittle once again has gone after the studio as well as director James Wan, screenwriters Chad Hayes and Carrie Hayes, Rat Pack, Dune Productions, and others for copyright infringement and more. Quote, This pattern of ongoing infringement by defendants in the instant matter has caused Brittle irreparable harm. End quote, says the seven-claim amended complaint filed yesterday in federal court in Virginia. While not naming an actual number, the author of the 1980 book about Ed and Lorraine's real-life investigation into the seemingly supernatural, which are unto themselves the basis of The Conjuring Tales, is looking to get his hands on whatever the nearly $900 million box office franchise has made. 
The suit seeks a jury trial and unspecified damages. Quote, Brittle seeks disgorgement of all of defendants' profits derived from said infringement and an injunction to ensure the pattern of infringement is stopped, end quote, asserts the 355-page filing that attorneys Bradley Mars and Patrick Henry II put before the court for their client. Quote, plaintiff contends that in the case of studio defendants, New Line and Warner Brothers, the profits to be disgorged are not limited to box office profits or licenses fees generated for the defendant's from their infringing movies, but also include defendants' new line in Warner Brothers' profits, which fall to the bottom line of their corporate parent, defendant Time Warner. Uh, and I'm going to end all the quotes there. You can definitely check out this article if you want to read more about it. Warner Brothers haunted by another conjuring suit from demonologist author. Matthew, do you think this guy might be... Reaching for too much at this point, like, it sounds like he's willing to take down everybody. And I really don't see that happening. Well, I, I think that the best way, um, when you have a legit claim, which it apparently this guy does, I think the simplest thing is to always ask for the moon, right? What's the old, what's that old positive adage that makes you just want to vomit, right? You know, like, you should always... You know, like aim for the aim for the next universe or something, because even if you miss, you'll still reach the stars. (laughs) Some fucking stupid thing like that. I think this is kind of like the money equivalent of that. I think he's got a legit thing. It does sound like these the the Warrens are kind of shady. And just like I've always said, nothing is ever based on a fucking true story. Like once upon a time, there was a house. That's about as far as this shit ever goes, okay? And that's what makes me believe this dude. Because this guy's like, look, these people are full of shit. I've proven that they're full of shit, and I proved that they were full of shit after they tricked me. You know, I mean, is it any wonder that they're out there tricking other people? And you know what? He's got, and, and if he's got them by the balls, and he was supposed, and, and they sold him the rights, and um, the exclusive rights, and then the Warrens don't tell Warner Brothers. I mean, granted, that sucks for Warner Brothers, but on the same so on the same token, like the article says, you know, you're trying to tell me this huge multi-billion-dollar corporation can't even do its own due diligence with you know the army of lawyers at their disposal. So, you know, sure, and 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 let's say that he's got them dead to rights. He also knows they can tie him up in litigation forever. So they'll probably be like, look, will you take $20 million just to go away? And he'll probably go, yep. And they'll be like, peace, and be done. And they get to keep the other $880 million. So that's what I think of that. Hey, I'm going to see how old this guy is real quick. Because if he is 95 years old, he has nothing to lose. And I'd say good for him. Actually, that would definitely answer all my questions. Gerald Brittle Age. Brittle Bones or Brittle Bones. <laughs> okay, you know what? This guy is off the map. Off the map. This Gerald Brittle guy. <laughs> off the map. Can't find anything. We're just I'm just moving. Maybe on. the Warrens maybe the Warrens got maybe the Warrens got Annabelle to do it. And now you can't find him. Uh next up <laughs> next up for me, CosmicBookNews.com, the Spider Man out of Wait. 
sounds like there should be an is before this. Spider-Man out of the MCU following Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. And there also maybe should be a question mark after this because I don't think this is necessarily a statement. I think uh, the question itself is still up in the air. Uh, It's posted by Matt McGloin, and it says this. If you thought Spider-Man was officially back at Marvel for the long haul, guess again, as it now seems a temporary thing. Long story short, the film's rights to Spider-Man belong to Sony, but Sony and Marvel Studios came to a mutual deal to have Spider-Man in Captain America's Civil War, to have Marvel develop Spider-Man Homecoming, and to have Tom Holland in Avengers Infinity War. Now it's learned that following the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, that Spider-Man may no longer be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The former chief of Sony Pictures and producer on Spider-Man Homecoming, Amy Pascal, spoke about Spider-Man no longer being a part of the MCU at CinemaCon, where she says this, quote, One of the things that I think is so amazing about this experience is that you don't have studios deciding to work together to make a film very often. In fact, it may never happen again after we do the sequel. Because Sony and Disney and Marvel all decided that the right thing to do was to allow Peter Parker and Spider-Man to be in the MCU and to work with the Marvel guys and have them produce this film. And I think that was a very rare thing for three companies to do and a very brilliant thing for them to decide to do because there are only so many stories that you know you can tell again and again and again about Spidey. And this is something that we would never been able to do in any other way. So it was a very selfless thing that was very smart on the part of all the companies. End all quotes there. Uh, So this is very interesting. Um, For those of you who do not know, Sony basically owns most of the rights to Spider-Man. All the revenue goes to Sony. I believe the whole deal is that Marvel is retaining all profits made by marketing toys, video games, stuff like that, but Sony is going to get most of the box office intake. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe Marvel is saying, hey, we want to piece that money now that uh, we helped you get Spider-Man going and you know we're going to help you guys out a little bit. But I just think taking Spider-Man out of the MCU after the Homecoming sequel is pretty stupid. What are you going to do? recast Spider-Man because Tom Holland is now Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is a part of that group. You can't just take him out and have him go and do his own thing. What do you think about this, Matt? Well, I think that this is um, hopefully just premature. I'm I'm sincerely hoping that this is really just premature. And it is. It is. We're dealing with something that that hasn't even happened yet. Um, and it could have just been that the original story arcs for the things that they needed to have crossover so that, so that Avengers would make sense only need to happen through the sequel. So, I mean, so it could just be as simple as that. Um, and then they, and then the Avengers storyline won't really need Spider-Man beyond that. Um, and then because of that, Sony doesn't need MCU either. Um, it could be that they want to wait and see how it plays out after the second one to make sure, just like they, after Amazing Spider-Man 2, they decided to nix that trilogy. Um, they might want to just double check. 
um, and make sure that, hey, is it even worth us to try and continue or do we need to go back to the drawing board again? You know, so I don't know. I'm I at this point, I'm I'm willing to sit back and just wait and see how it plays out. I really don't think Marvel's trying to go after the money because honestly, um, that it doesn't seem to me like it would behoove anybody. Because, sure, all Sony has to do is say, fuck you, we're out. Um, and that doesn't help anybody at all. So it seems to me that Marvel plays the, the long game by continuing to work with Sony so that, you know, everybody's happy. Sony gets to make a, uh, gets to make a project that, that Marvel is willing to associate with. Which keeps Sony in the black in terms of that particular franchise. Um, and then Marvel gets to have, gets to keep producing comics. They get to keep producing toys. They get to keep producing video games, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which helps them, even if it only means they get to borrow Spider-Man for the movies every once in a while. That seems to be that that's kind of the deal they have worked out. That's, it's oversimplified. Um, but that's kind of the deal they have worked out now. So it, it seems to be working. Let's, you know, stay the course. Wait and let, let's, let's wait and see how Homecoming even is. So, before we get our panties in a bunch. Oh, I hope you didn't watch the trailer for it. I watched the teaser trailer for it. I haven't watched any others. Yeah. Uh, do yourself a favor and don't watch any, even, even at the movie theater, don't watch any of the newer trailer because... It's too hard. I, I make it a point nowadays to they literally show way be as much. late as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I try to be as late as possible to the movies. Like, if the movie starts at, like, yesterday, uh, I went and saw the uh, Ghost in the Shell, 750 showing, XD, 3D, blah, 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 the whole nine, right? Um, and the movie started at 750. I did not walk into the theater until 756. Grab some popcorn, get my drink, you know, buy the tickets and stuff, pay for everything, and then go inside. And there were still, so I didn't even get in until like 8.02 or something like that. Uh, spend five, six minutes in line. So it was a little after eight o'clock by the time I go in. 7.50 is the start time. And I still watched no less than five fucking trailers. So, I mean, I'm, I'm showing up, ten, you know, 10, 12 minutes late, 15 minutes late, and they're still fucking previews. So I do what I can. But it's too loud. It's too bright. I can't close my eyes. I can't plug my ears because I can still hear it. So, <laughs> but I'll do my best. Just plug your ears and scream really loud. That won't get me kicked out. Yeah, that that won't get me kicked out either, I'm sure. <sighs> anyway, I'm going to go ahead and stop. Uh, do you have any other news that you'd like to talk about? I do, but I will uh, hold off for next week. Okay, very good. Well, then let us go into the latest of our discussions with... Th well, uh, wait, I don't have to do that, because we have an intro for this. Hit it! Furry Okay, and this week's Three Squared uh, is our favorite slow burn flicks. Yes, yeah, so these are movies where it's not really just about individual scenes, um, although they could have one or more of them. But it's basically where it's the movie is constantly moving. It's it's moving in a direction. Your your interest has been kept. You're not bored. It's not slow. 
but it's but it's just simple stories, simple effective storytelling, and then bam, huge explosion at the end of the movie. Like, oh my god, what an amazing ending to these movies, right? And that's what a slow burn movie is. Okay, it, it, they can cross genres. It can be a thriller. It could be horror. It could be a drama. Um, it's usually not a comedy, though I suppose technically if it was maybe a dramedy or something. Um, and y- you can even throw it into a touch of an action movie. So like, for example, Drive. I know Drive is definitely more of a thriller and everything, but it does have elements of action in it. And even when it references those elements of action and things of that nature, that's not there to, you know, as a shot in the arm or to pep you up, although it does do that, it's there because it works within the story. But the actual flow of the story is very simple. It's very elegant. And then all of a sudden you have huge payoffs at the end. So think of, think of that as kind of a slow, 2001, a space odyssey, right? Um, you, it's the same thing where people are, you're just watching a simple story executed very well, acted very well, but it's not something that's just like blowing up the world. It's there to keep your attention. And then all of a sudden, boom, right? You get this big, huge payoff, slow burn. So these are the slow burn movies that we have chosen amongst our favorites. These are in no particular order, um, but let's see here. So we're going to start to go, go to 2008, uh, a Swedish romantic horror film, Let the Right One In. It's actually based on uh, the 2004 novel of the same name, and it tells the story of a 12-year-old boy who develops, a, basically becomes friends with a vampire. And uh, in, the, in the 80s, which took me a minute to, when I first watched this movie, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, are these Swedish folk just kind of behind the times, or is this actually set in the 80s? And it took me a bit to try and, <laughs> try and lay out. It does. It takes place in the 80s. So, um, but this is a movie where, again, just a very simple story, and yet small little elements are thrown in so that you don't get bored. So that, and yet, and this way you can sit there and go, oh, what a neat little breadcrumb. Is this a red herring or is this actually something we should be paying attention for? And the whole movie does that while nothing's going on. And then we get this just amazing series of payoffs by the end of the film. It's just fantastic. Uh, it was actually remade in 2010, I believe, uh, for Let Me In was the American version. And I want to say we did it as a, not necessarily a copycat throwdown way back in the day, but I know, I want to say we actually covered both of these movies long, long, long time ago. Um, but Let the Right One In. We did Let the did Right we just One do in. Let me in. No, we, I, we didn't do Let Me. Oh, I actually, I did not see Let Me In. I've actually never seen it. I've seen the original, oh, okay. though. Let the, yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. Let the Right One In is the original, obviously. So, yes, which is the superior one. So, yeah, so definitely check that movie out. We're going to go back in time. We're going to jump back to 1995 and discuss David Fincher's Seven, Um, which is, of course, the neo-noir crime thriller film. It stars Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman. Uh, And this is actually the story of a young detective. Uh, Basically, it's kind of a neo-noir... lethal weapon right you've got the young up-and-comer guy with the older dude older buck who's trying to retire and they're on this one case together that you know forges that forges their relationship except in this case 
you know, you're left asking what's in the box, what's in the box. So, um, which after 22 years, fuck you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, and if you are upset at me for saying that because you don't know what I'm talking about, still fuck you. It's been 22 years. What the, where the hell have you been? Um, I love this movie. This is a movie that, uh, not quite single-handedly, but definitely put the seeds, as far as I'm concerned, definitely spread the seeds that eventually grew into the Saw franchise. Um, this is stuff where it, it's, you know, gore porn and stuff like that it, it but again sprinkled it, it's sprinkled where it's just enough to kind of like wow look what this is the kind of guy they're following you kind of think it's very silence of the lambs-esque uh as they're running through this movie and everything and yet uh you realize you you both know and don't know who the bad guy is the whole time as they follow through this stuff. It's just absolutely such a fantastic film. And I I just, I love the payoff at the end. I sincerely love the payoff at the end as you go through. Because this film is based on a serial killer going through the seven deadly sins. And man, it's just fantastic. Uh, finally, for me, is a very recent film. Uh, we actually covered it last year. Uh, but it is strictly speaking from 2015 and that is the witch um and that's the historical period supernatural horror film it's written and directed by robert eggers and stars anya taylor joy ralph inkinson uh Ineson, kate dickey um, and uh lucas dawson now this is the course of the film that follows the outcast puritan family as they lose family member after family member to a witch in the woods and I just, I mean, this movie, and I, and I recognize that sometimes I, I remember, if, uh, I, I guess I could look it up, but I'm not going to do that. I believe I gave it a 3.75 out of 5. And because it, it's a fantastic movie, and while it does spend a few moments in, in try hard territory, um, it's gripping from beginning to end. And yet, really and truly, nothing's happening. It's, it's a family on a fucking farm, right? Slow burn. And then just such an amazing payoff. Uh, by the end of the movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Great, simple, uh, simple, effective story. Well told, well acted, and blah out. So my movie picks are, again, 2008's Let the Right One In, 1995's Seven, and 2015's The Witch. What do you got there, Tim? So slow burn movies run the risk of being boring, and that's what honestly excites me about them. It takes great talent and precise storytelling to really pull off a memorable slow burn. There's really no other genre or subgenre of film that can compete. And a successful slow burn, when achieved, is a marvelous cinematic experience. These slow burn flicks are often character-centric, focusing on relationships, growth, and nuanced change. Many movies are unable to play around with specific nuanced qualities due to their runtime and overall concept. This focus on nuance has the ability to develop a human and emotional connection with the audience, like the ability to tease or coerce, frighten, seduce, and create doubt. In The Shining, 
Kubrick utilized the slow burn to create tension and horror, while for 2001 A Space Odyssey, he utilized it to link themes of evolution and space exploration while creating a state of mind and its own atmosphere. When I look at my favorite slow burn movies, they don't necessarily have a big pal payoff at the end. In fact, I think some of the best ones are the ones that don't have a crazy payoff at the end, because these are the movies that are a little more emotional, more connected. And man, these movies are done incredibly well. So beginning with 2011's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. This here is directed by Thomas Alfredson, and it stars Mark Strong, John Hurt, Toby Jones is in it, Gary Oldman is the lead, he plays George Smiley, uh, Colin Firth is in it as well, as well as Benedict Cumberbatch, who was nominated for three Academy Awards, I believe it was for Best Picture or Best Director, I know Gary Oldman was nominated. But the whole gist of the movie is that there is this espionage veteran by the name of George Smiley, an older chap, who is brought out of retirement by MI6 to uncover a secret Soviet agent within the department. And this takes place during the bleakest days of the Cold War in that whole espionage hoopla with Russia. It's a very wonderful movie. It's a very slow movie. In fact, when I first saw this movie, back when it came out, I didn't care about it. But then the ending got me, and I found myself thinking about the movie a lot more. So the next day, I rewatched it in the morning. I enjoyed it so much, I rewatched it again. And then I rewatched it again. I cannot tell you the last time I watched a two-hour-plus movie three times in a row because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I still find myself revisiting it. You know, once a year or so, I always pick out new little nuances from the movie during each viewing. It's beautifully shot, it's beautifully filmed, and it's just that slow progress to who is the Soviet agent within MI6. And it's absolutely fulfilling for an audience member. And the movie's even slowed down to how Gary Oldman plays Smiley. You know, he, you know, just kind of talks very slowly and he's very methodical. He thinks about what he's going to say. And, you know, again, you're just watching his thought process. And it's absolutely wonderful. Nothing but great things to say about Tinker Tailor, Soldier, Spy. Next up is from the year 1975. In 1975, Stanley Kubrick released his film Barry Lyndon. That's right, this year is based off a book as well. But the screenplay was written by Stanley Kubrick, produced by Stanley Kubrick, directed by Stanley Kubrick. It stars Ryan O'Neill as the title character of Redmond Barry. And the film is about an Irishman named Redmond Barry who's deprived of prospects, yet he climbs the ladder of 18th century English nobility by way of assuming the position of a widow's aristocratic husband. This movie is over three hours long, and it is a delight. Not as entertaining and crazy methodical like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but it's mainly Kubrick takes his time to create this atmosphere, you know, to create this feeling, to create this tone. It's a real-life movie. 
It feels like you're actually watching this stuff play out through a window. And he achieved that feeling by taking his time to tell the story on top of various filmmaking techniques. So there are these long scenes where it's lit by candlelight, the scene is. When they shot it, they only lit the set by candlelight. He got a, I think with Kodak, uh, he worked with Kodak or, shit, is it Kodak or Panavision? I know I'm messing this up somewhere. But he worked with a camera company to develop this special high-tech camera to be able to film these scenes in this incredibly low light because he really wanted what that time period felt like and he really wanted to look like how that time period looked. So it's an absolutely wonderful movie. There's not quite another movie like it where you're watching it and you feel like you're actually in the room with these hoity-toity 18th century English aristocrats. Absolutely wonderful film. Do check out Barry Lyndon. And then lastly, for me, another favorite, Seven Samurai. That is right. Akira Kurosawa's 1954 classic that went on to inspire loads of remakes. Um, Probably the most famous is the MGM film The Magnificent Seven. Seven Samurai, like those movies, tells the story of the small farming village who is getting just raided and taken over pretty much by this gang, these cadre of assholes who's wanting to take their crop from them. So they set out to find these samurai to come back and risk their lives, basically getting paid nothing, doing it for free, to help these farmers defeat this gang. Because a lot of these people are dying from starvation, pretty much. Well, unlike The Magnificent Seven, which is a long movie, but it does not compare to Seven Samurai's 207-minute runtime, (laughs) the movie takes its time setting up the samurai character. So by the end of the movie, I believe we all know that not all of them survive, but by the end of the movie, you have grown with these characters, or you've watched them grow. You've watched the bad ones become good ones, and you understood exactly what they're fighting for and why they're doing such a noble deed for free. An absolutely breathtaking movie. Not only is it a great slow burn, but it's a fantastic, classic Japanese epic. And I highly recommend it. Criterion released a beautiful Blu-ray edition of it not that long ago. You gotta pick that one up for sure. And yeah, three of my favorite slow burn movies again were Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy from 2011, Barry Lyndon from 1975, and then finally, Seven Samurai from 1954. All right, all right. So next week, that does bring us to the conclusion of Three Squared. Next week, we are going to be doing a creme de la crap on 1980s The Apple. Never heard of it, so... I will be indoctrinated properly, apparently. You are in for a treat. I I hope so. I hope so. I was so disappointed with uh, both Roller Boogie and Malibu Express, and I still have the rest of that whole series of movies to watch. But, you know, I guess if we get bored, we can always do another one, because I know you have that collection as well. Um, So I'm really hoping to have another yes for Creme de la Crap. But uh, without further ado, I believe it is time for the movies, is it not, sir? Sounds good. Or yes, sir. Then let's do it, folks. <laughs> it's time for... The Movies! Movie. 
this week's movies are The Black Coat's Daughter and 2017's Ghost in the Shell. Where do you want to start, sir? How about The Black Coat's Daughter? Okie dokie. Black Coat's Daughter, 2015 American-Canadian horror thriller film. Written and directed by Oz Perkins. Uh, stars Emma Roberts, Lucy Boynton, Kiernan Shipka, James Remar, and Lauren Holly. Um, and what we have here is a story of a couple of girls trapped in a school um, where, uh, while they're waiting for their parents to come and pick them up for a, a holiday, for a holiday in February. And, um, you know, it's Catholic school. And, um, of course, what do you get when you mix schoolgirls, Catholicism, and alone in a school? Horror movie. All right. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this movie. I thought uh, it was a very, very, very well thought out story. Um, and I thought that the overall execution of the movie was solid. Um, what I had a problem with was the what was just simply how cliched it felt and also um i didn't like the tactics of the div of the converging story points um i i just felt like it, it, that it could have been done smarter i was thoroughly personally really impressed my favorite character this whole thing was bill played by james remar um i don't know he it was just the right blend of uh creepy and good but like like legitimately good coming off as creepy <laughs> um that uh i that i have seen in a while it um it kind of reminds me of his work on dexter really and um i don't know I, I i thought it was again solid performances and it seems like they really knew what they wanted to do and they they definitely took it where they wanted it to go um i just i don't know just cliched and I, I think that they could have done something better than the convergent storyline action that they used. 3.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? I thought this was a pretty good one. I like this one a lot more than Don't Knock Twice from last week, the other VOD movie we covered last week. I, too, thought it was a well-thought-out story. I thought it was solid filmmaking. With the script that they had, with the story they wanted to tell, they produced it right. That's not saying I completely agree with the story that they were wanting to tell, and I'm not completely down with the script. <laughs> I really want to spoil something to go more in depth, but I just really don't think it's necessarily worth it, because it is a pretty decent movie. But I did a lot of thinking about one particular thing in this movie, and I thought, man, two of these actresses look pretty familiar. Hmm. And then my thought process went there, and the thing that I kind of thought about, like, 35 minutes into it, turned out to be right there at the end of the movie. If you're completely blindsided by it, I think it's a very interesting little twist, because you're kind of being strung along for a long period of time, and I think because you're being strung along for a long period of time, and I think some of the editing really didn't lend itself too well for that whole being led for a long period of time. You had a lot too much time to kind of put two and two together before, I think, 
they were intending you to put two and two together. So it really kind of downplays the whole reveal later on in the movie. I'm trying to be as blasé as possible, so just don't think about it if you haven't seen the movie. But if you have, get back to us, let us know what you think, because I'm very curious as to what other people think about it. As in performances, I think the performances all around were pretty good. I did like Kiernan Shipka. She plays Sally in Mad Men. I think her performance in this movie was very good. In fact, I think she was my favorite person in this movie, especially when she went, she goes bad when she becomes possessed. And she's pretty fucking frightening and pretty fucking intimidating when she does. And she just completely looked at, I really like that stuff. I really like the creepy stuff in the movie. It was just some of the building up in the come down that just really, uh, I don't know, didn't, sit too well with me, I suppose. But it's still good. I give this one 3.75 out of 5. I don't feel too comfortable with giving it a solid 4, but it's very close. 3.75 out of 5 for me. Very good, very good. Okay, that leaves us with 2017's Ghost in the Shell. Okay, let's see here. We've got... uh science fiction action films directed by rupert sanders and it uh is based on the manga of the same name by masamuni uh shiro stars scarlett johansson michael pitt pelu azbek chin han and juliette binoche it is a pretty faithful adaptation all things considered they they took a couple of different story turns just to make it something that uh, audiences today would be able to jump in uh, and follow and then, of course, because clearly when you spend uh, $110 million on a movie, there's no way there can be just one, right? So in terms of being able to carry out what the manga did, uh, the animes, the 95 movie and stuff like that, um, they, they've done what they can. Now, real quick on a side note for this film, I would like to say that people have been kind of upset with the whitewashing thing that happened um, in terms of having Scarlett Johansson. Now, most of the people who are upset about this, again, I go back, we we talked about this briefly before. There's a lot of things that go into Japanese anime and stuff like that. And they do actually draw a lot of their characters um, with uh, European and and Western features and stuff. Um, And they usually do delineate a lot of times between people who are supposed to be Asian and people who are um, just either generic or however they want them to be interpreted. And even in the 95 anime, it's very clear this is a a very Western-oriented woman uh, with blue eyes and everything else. So it's not unrealistic that for the purposes of what they were doing in terms of the cybernetic body and everything that you would end up with Scarlett Johansson. That said, um, they do actually address the whole thing in the movie. So if nothing else, watch the movie just for that. Um, outside of that, I think that with the nods that they gave to the anime, to the, to the 95 film with the way that they've incorporated the storytelling and the special effects, it's really solid. I mean, really and truly it's solid. There are two things that I have a problem with when it comes to this movie. Number one, I simply feel like they, that, that at this point in the game, 
you cannot have live action CGI like the way you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Just by putting somebody's real head, you know, and hands in the picture does not mean live action. Everything else you're looking at is CGI. Um, and because they do that, a lot of the design elements look like they're just being lifted from other things, primarily Blade Runner. Also, slightly offsetting would be things like, um, would be things like the Alien franchise and stuff. A lot of the tech and everything looks like it's aged from a futuristic standpoint that we would see and stuff that we have seen before. Not because it makes sense, which it does in terms of where it's at in the timeline of us as human beings, but because they're honoring source material and stuff. And the source material is 25, you know, 25 years old. So you have those kinds of things that make it, that, that can hurt the quality. And people are like, oh, well, it looks like Blade Runner. Their whole city looks like Blade Runner and everything. That's, that's not a fair comparison. But it's an easy cop-out to make because that's what it looks like. And it's because they're going for this whole live action vibe. And I, and the other, and that leads into the other thing, which is, I think, I think this movie absolutely speaks to the fact that people need to get the fuck over themselves and just admit they like anime. Just admit it. It's okay. Nobody's going to hate you. Nobody's going to be upset at you, okay, if you want to say that you like anime. Because that's basically what you're watching. When every goddamn thing on the screen is CGI'd to the point that you think you're watching a fucking video game trailer, then... Just go ahead and just do the last couple of things and let them do voices. If you want to do the whole motion capture thing a la Avatar, then go right on ahead. You know, let James Cameron lease out his studio to you. I mean, he's not doing anything for the next eight years, right? Just go make your movies there. It's those kinds of things that hurt movies like this. Because with if you just go ahead and make that last little bit of a leap, then you can make your design aesthetics fit anything you want, still make those nods, and people won't be going, oh, this is ripping off Blade Runner. Oh, this is ripping off Alien. Oh, this is ripping off 2010. And whatever else. But the movie is good, and it's worth watching. So you have to take the good with the bad. I recommend this movie highly. Four stars out of five. I was really and truly impressed. Tim knows I did not want to see this movie at all. I I really did try and talk him out of it. But I'm glad I saw it. XD... 3D, the whole nine. But by God, we just need to go ahead and start watching C. We just need to go ahead and just make them full CGI movies, make them fully computer animated, and just and just enjoy them for what they are. Anyways, what do you got, Tim? Bring us home. You know what's funny is that I actually like this movie less than you, which is hilarious. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> or is it just par for the course? <laughs> sure, I guess. I mean, it, just a little bit. It's uh, 3.5 out of 5. I, I, I mentioned earlier that I saw this movie twice. I About once a year, a movie comes along where I watch the trailer and I think to myself, you know what, I'm going to go see this movie. I'm going to pay 20 bucks, see it Friday night at the Chinese theater. IMAX 3D, it's one of the biggest IMAX theater in theaters in the uh, in the country they do like this laser projection so it's like the best movie experience but i'm gonna smoke a lot of weed before i go see that movie and it's gonna be amazing 
about once a year a movie comes along like that where I just go balls out and have a bitchin' time. And that's what I did with Ghost in the Shell on Friday. I went to the 7.30 p.m. movie, and I, I kind of got some of the dosage wrong that a, that a friend of mine brought over uh, like a little gummy bear edible and then we decided to smoke a couple bowls before that and all of it just kind of converged right when this movie began and I didn't know what the hell was going on I I I I I'm not I mean I'm not like a crazy ghost in the shell fan I'm a big fan of the first anime movie from 95, and I've only seen that one a handful of times, so I'm not, like, crazy into the mangas or anything like that. So I'm watching this movie, and, you know, it's just all kind of converging at once. All this, you know, I'm, I'm listening to people, like... There, there were like these Asian ladies behind me that were that were translating the movie to one another or to somebody else. So I was listening to like this funky translation. I had to kick this poor old man out of my seat. He didn't speak English, and I felt really bad because I think he's a very big anime fan. And I was kind of like psyching myself out, thinking that maybe I ruined his night. But basically, it turned out all these people were having so much more fun and into this movie more so than me. So the movie was over. I, I, I mean, I could tell you the visuals were stunning. And I thought overall the movie was was pretty damn good. I just thought it, they could have taken their time uh, more so. And I thought the movie could have been grittier and sleazier. Like during the club scene, for example, with the uh, dancers and all that stuff. Just make it grittier and sleazier. And so I decided to go see the movie again last night. And I did. I just saw it in 2D. And, you know, I, I liked it, you know, about about the same. So I land on 3.5 out of 5. My biggest complaints is that I thought the action scenes kind of blended together. None of them really just completely stood out on their own. Possibly this movie could have benefited from an R rating. It just would have been neat to see more detail, like whenever she's getting repaired, like see more of the tendons and the crazy skin that the shell, I guess, you know, like maybe some like light gore. I mean, it does pay off kind of at the end with the whole arm getting ripped off thing is pretty cool, but just more of that stuff, you know, more of that shock and awe and just amazement. The anime does have more distractions with quick edits and intense action that this one really doesn't have. And mainly, the movie fizzles out about an hour in, where there's just poor kind of building to the finale. Ghost in the Shell 2017 just doesn't capture the same feeling of the original 90s anime. And that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing, but I just kind of wanted more to the movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I might enjoy it more after repeat viewings, but yeah, I, I, people really need to go see this movie. If you're a fan of animes, if you are a fan of Ghost in the Shell, go and check it out. It, it's a good flick, despite some of its issues. So 3.5 out of 5 for me. Cool. And just to tack on to what Tim was saying, for those who don't know about Ghost in the Shell, I guess, let me tell you real quick, basically in the future, uh, people have decided to merge humanity and cybernetics together so people get themselves modified uh, with livers or hands or arms bionics implants eyes and even brains to a certain extent um, and scarlett johansson uh, is a person who actually w her body was so damaged they had to take her brain out and then put it in into an entirely cybernetic organism so basically she's like data from star trek but 
super hot. I mean, not that Brent Spiner wasn't hot back then, right, guys and gals? Hmm? 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 Anyways, so at least now you have an idea of what the movie's about. Uh, <laughs> next week's movies, though, are going to be Mean Dreams and The Zookeeper's Wife. Mean Dreams is available on VOD, and The Zookeeper's Wife will be the theater movie. So, I believe we are now down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on! Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are of course the SLS Cast and you can find us at SLSCast.com You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter by following at nitwit12345 You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire and don't forget you can always subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio as well as get us on the old soundcloud so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to michael pitt i get to say this there are two kinds of directors there's the kind where two plus two equals four and you have to help them figure it out and then there's the kind that throws you in a room locks the door sets the house on fire and films it take care cinephiles we'll talk at you again next week Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>